Uh, we have been in a, a little series uh, called Super Summer that we do every single year. We start off with our all-campus celebration, and then we uh, went through a couple weeks now. We're going to be doing Ask Anything, and then it will wrap up uh, two weeks from today with a guest speaker that uh, everyone loves is Dr. Robert Smith, and so he'll be here with us on 4th of July weekends. So if you've never heard Dr. Smith preach, you should mark that down and do your best to be here. And so uh, today, I'm going to approach it a little bit differently today. So last week, we answered five or six questions uh, that were submitted. Next week, I'll answer five or six questions. And today, I'm just going to answer one question. This is actually something we taught on about four or five years ago that I want to reteach on. Here's the primary reason why. I just didn't feel like writing another sermon. Amen. No, that's not it at all. Now, the reason I want to reteach on this for a couple reasons. Number one, we learn by repetition. Number two, uh, this is a question that I literally cannot tell you how often I've had to answer this question, how many times I've had to counsel people uh, in this area. So this is something that people are always struggling with. And I guess a third reason would be, I think this is a passage that has produced uh, a lot of bad teaching and therefore uh, a lot of pain. I'll never forget one of the saddest conversations I had was uh, several years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, right outside the worship center doors for a person who uh, no longer attends here. And just in tears, they began to ask me this question, we kind of walk through the truth of this passage. And the question uh, that I want to wrestle with today, that again we taught on four or five years ago, is this. Why do my adult children uh, not follow the Lord, even though we raise them to do that? And there's lots of questions connected to that. Isn't that a promise somewhere in the Bible that if we did this, then this would be the outcome? And then the follow-up questions along that are, does that mean that somehow... Uh, we failed as parents that somehow if we would have done something different, it would have guaranteed a better outcome. I don't understand. I, I tried to teach this. I tried to model this. And I thought this was a promise. And yet I've got these adult children who are no longer darkening the door of the church, don't want anything to do with the Lord. And so how do we wrestle with that? Did I fail? What does God's word fail? Uh, so I'm going to walk through that today because it's an important question. It's also, again, a painful question for lots of people uh, who have wrestled through that issue. And I want you to Listen carefully, because maybe you're here and you're thinking, hey, uh, I'm still raising my kids, and so there's going to be some uh, wisdom for you. And maybe you say, hey, by the grace of God, that's not my situation. We brought our kids up in church, and by the grace of God, they're adults, and they're still going to church. Many of them may be with you here today, and you may think, hey, this is interesting, but that's not my situation. Let me just encourage you to take notes. Here's why. God's called us to disciple each other. and God may use what you're taught today and help you pour into someone else's life who's struggling with this issue of a child who's walked away from the Lord, and they have a broken heart, and God could use you to minister to them with the truth from His Word today, all right? So take your Bibles, your phones, your tablets, and turn with me to Proverbs chapter 22 uh, for a message titled Proverbs, Promises, and Prodigals. Proverbs is my uh, favorite Old Testament book, and here's why. Uh, the verses are really short, amen? So... <laughs> You know, you read, read the Psalms, you're like, you get halfway through, you're like, my goodness, I don't even know what he's talking about, right? Proverbs are very short. Uh, I love them because they're wisdom in relating uh, horizontally with other people. So Psalms give us wisdom on how to relate to God vertically, but Proverbs give us wisdom on how to relate to each other horizontally. If you're like me, I need wisdom in that area. And the other thing I love about Proverbs is this. It is unique uh, in the Old Testament in this sense. It is not a book that is limited by covenant and context. In other words, so much of what's taught in the Old Testament has very specific application for the nation of Israel only. We have to extrapolate general principles, but Proverbs is wisdom that transcends culture and covenant. It's just as wise for the Old Testament saints 
just as wise for us today. It'll be just as wise for generations ahead. So I love the book of Proverbs. So let's look together at uh, chapter 22, verses 1 through 11 this morning. Verse 1 starts off and says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. The prudent sees danger and hides himself, but the simple go on and suffer for it. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. And here's verse 6, kind of the center verse we're going to talk about today. Uh, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Uh, Verse 7, the rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is slave to the lender. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Drive out a scoffer, and strife will go out, and quarreling and abuse will cease. Then verse 11, he who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. So we're going to teach you a lot of these verses today. We're going to use a lot of those examples of some principles we want to teach you. But certainly the anchor verse we're going to talk about today is in verse 6. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. And here's been my experience in 20 years of, of ministry. Uh, Proverbs 22, 6 uh, has produced false guarantees for parents of young children and it's produced false guilt for parents of adult children who have walked away from the Lord and and here's the third category is what I've learned as well is it has produced self-righteous pride in parents whose adult children are walking with the Lord still because sometimes if we're not careful and pride creeps in you know what we do we look at those people who have adult children who've walked away from the Lord and our children may still be walking with the Lord and what we say is well if you just done a little better job of a parent like we did, if you'd just uh, been as faithful as we were as parents, then somehow your kids would have turned out like our kids. And so it has all kinds of false promises for young parents, false guilt for prodigal parents, and, and a sense of pride for those whose children are still walking with the Lord. So here's the point. Lots of people have gotten this wrong, and as a result, it's had all kinds of grief connected to this truth in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. So I want to look at this closely. And what it's actually teaching as opposed to what we hope it's teaching or what we thought it was teaching and it didn't play out in the way that we hoped with our children. Okay, so three truths. I want to center our thoughts around this morning. Number one, Proverbs are not promises. Proverbs are not uh, promises. If you don't understand this principle as a general rule of interpreting the book of Proverbs, then you've got no chance of understanding this verse and Real estate, what do they say, the three rules of real estate are location, location, location. When it comes to interpreting scripture, the primary principle of interpreting scripture is context, context, context. And so when you understand the context of what Proverbs are and what they're not, then you can understand this. And what we learn is simply this, is that Proverbs are not promises. What they are, they're not ironclad formulas that that in every single scenario, uh, it's guaranteed outcome if you do this despite the fact that God's given us all the ability to make real choices with real consequences, both good and bad. So what are Proverbs? Uh, Proverbs are general statements of wisdom that are generally true most of the time. But sometimes, because of human choice, uh, sometimes they're, they're not guarantees. They're not ironclad formulas that you can uh, cling to. And so uh, they're not inflexible laws or absolute promises. Now, 
Some of you are thinking, well, I don't know that I agree with that. And listen, that's totally fine. You can be wrong, all right? And maybe you think, well, he's just trying to create a loophole to excuse unwise parenting. Let me show you some places in Proverbs where a general statement is made that is generally true, but in that same verse, it also shows you that, hey, there's exceptions to what is generally true. Let me just give a few. Just from Proverbs chapter 3. Here's a few, all right? Proverbs chapter 3. Uh, listen to verses 1 and 2. Let your heart keep my commands. So, so there's a promise. Keep God's commands, right? For length of days and long life in peace, they will add to you. Now, if that's a promise, then we have a problem. If it's an ironclad guarantee, we have a problem. Because here's why. We all know godly young people who died tragically early from cancer or some kind of accident, right? And so what he's saying is, hey, as a a general rule of thumb, if a child avoids foolishness, then they also avoid the foolish consequences that may lead to an early death. So as a general rule of thumb, that is true, but it's not an ironclad guarantee because we all know, again, godly young people who it did not, in fact, add long life or length of days using Proverbs chapter 3. So it's a general statement that's generally true most of the time, but we all know, tragically, exceptions uh, to that rule. Let me give you another one. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. This is every pastor's favorite verse, by the way, so you should write this down. Honor the Lord with your possessions <laughs> and the first fruits of all your increase, so your barns will be filled with plenty. And so as a general statement, what he's saying is, hey, those who generously invest in the Lord's work, God in turn will generally bless them in return. That You're not going to uh, reap what you sow as a general principle. But, but can we just all agree, there were people who followed God's principles for financial stewardship and who generously invested in the kingdom. And when the, when the crash came in 2008, they lost all of their retirement. And so if that was a promise, then if they would have invested generally, then everybody else would say, I lost my wealth. They would have said, well, not me. I invested generously, and that's a promise. All my wealth is still safe. So, so generally true, but we all know exceptions, and maybe you've even been there. Let me give you another one out of Proverbs chapter 3. Verses 24 and 29. These are just three examples from one chapter. There's 30 Proverbs. All right? Proverbs 3, 24 and 25. When you lie down, you will not be afraid. Yes, you will lie down and your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror nor of trouble from the wicked when it comes. Now, let me ask you this. Do you know people who truly live with a reverential fear of the Lord like Proverbs instructs us to, and yet they still experience sleepless nights and anxiety. Of course you do. Of course you do. So he's saying, hey, as a general rule of thumb, if you live with integrity, you don't have to lay awake at night wondering who's going to find out and how's this going to play out. He says, if you live with integrity, you can lay your head down at night and sleep well. But there are people who do that consistently and yet still have sleepless nights and battle anxiety and worry and all those kinds of things. So again, general statement that's generally true most of the time, but Proverbs are not promises. Let's go to everybody's favorite proverb to sell things with, Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31 is the, the virtuous wife. And over the years, like when I first started ministry, that this was a, people love this passage. What I've noticed now is the, there's so much comparison going around because of social media, like the, the virtuous woman, the Proverbs 31 woman, she's not well liked. Amen? Right? Because we look at her as some kind of 
perfect idea. We're like, I can't do that. Don't talk about that. So, so here's, uh, let me just use this as examples as well. Proverbs 31, 10 through 11. Who can find a virtuous way? So this, this is a virtuous woman, right? For her worth is above rubies. The heart, listen to this, the heart of her husband safely trusts her. Now, if that was a promise, then here's what that would mean. That for every virtuous woman, she could not be married to a man who is controlling and suspicious. Because if she were virtuous, then the promise would be her husband trusts her openly. You ever met a godly lady who's married to a punk? Amen. It's the Hebrew word, punk. Right? Father's Day. Pow! So it's generally true that if she lives and she's virtuous, her husband's going to trust her. But it's not a guarantee, right? Proverbs 31, 25, same virtuous woman. Her children, because she's virtuous, her children, children, those waskly wabbits, <laughs> her children rise up and call her blessed and her husband also. Now listen, if it were a promise, then every virtuous woman would have children and husbands who only say wonderful things about her. But is it possible that a woman can be godly and virtuous and yet still have a critical husband and children who are demons. Amen? Right? So it's generally true most of the time. She lives this way. She's going to earn their praise. But it's not a promise. It's not an ironclad guarantee. Let me give you one more and we'll move on. I think we're getting the point here. Verse 30 in Proverbs 31. A woman who fears the Lord. She lives with a reverential fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of wisdom. And Proverbs says... Listen to this, a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Now, generally that's true, right? We look at a godly woman and say, man, I'm, I want to praise her. She loves the Lord. It's evident to everyone around her. But is that an ironclad guarantee that if she is virtuous, then no one will ever offer her unjust criticism? Of course not. So Proverbs are not promises. They're general statements that are generally true most of the time. They're not ironclad guarantees. And I just gave you multiple examples from just a couple of chapters. And I could go on and on and on. And so uh, even in this passage, go back to verse 4 in chapter 22. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor in life. If that was an ironclad guarantee, then listen... Everybody who lives with a reverent fear of the Lord would have riches. And now listen, I know some godly poor people, right? So I think you get the idea. Proverbs are not promises. They're general statements that are generally true most of the time. So contextually, that's important. If you don't understand that about the book of Proverbs, you have no hope of understanding Proverbs. You have no hope of getting the right understanding of Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. So there will always be exceptions to the general thumb. And because that is true... And this next statement is true as well, which is this. Godly parents can produce foolish children. I couldn't begin to add up the number of examples that I've witnessed over the last 20 years. firsthand of faithful, godly, praying, diligent parents who taught it and modeled it and brought their kids to church. And yet end up with adult children who have no desire to walk with the Lord. On the opposite of the spectrum, I've seen numerous parents who ever or rarely darkened the door of the church. They never talked about the things of the Lord in their house, but yet they ended up with children who were in full-time vocational ministry. 
And if you think, I've never seen that before, I've never met one, you're looking at one. I didn't grow up in church. My parents didn't disciple me. They didn't take us to church. We didn't talk about the Lord in our house. But yet God in His grace saved me and put me into ministry. And so, even though Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 is a general statement that's generally true most of the time, it's not a guarantee. So therefore, listen, godly parents can produce foolish children and no fault of their own. Now, some of you are thinking, hey, that's, that's not what I want to hear, right? Especially if you've got little sinners. You're like, no, 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 don't. But, but clearly, Scripture teaches. And I'm forced to concede that Proverbs teaches clearly. These are not ironclad guarantees. And so, so even though that faithful parenting can, can be profitable, we'll get that in just a moment, that also means, because it's not guarantees, that in fact a godly parent can produce a child who is foolish. Let me write off multiple verses in Proverbs that prove there are exceptions to the principle in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. So let's narrow it down and say, hey, specifically with parenting, Producing children who love the Lord and generational faithfulness. Show us some places where scripture teaches in Proverbs that a parent is doing their job, but yet the child is not receptive to that, that truth. And so therefore they produce a foolish child. Let me write off a few here. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 1 says this. A wise son makes a glad father. This is, here it is, listen to this. But a foolish son is the grief of his mother. Now, now here's what I know exegetically from this verse. The mother in Proverbs 10 is a godly mother. You know how I know that? Because a foolish mother who walks in her own wisdom is not grieved by a foolish son. Right? What she's saying is, hey, chip off the old block. Right? And so by the fact that the son is foolish and the mother's grieved by his foolishness because he's walking in his own wisdom proves to us that in fact... This is a godly mother who's trying to walk in the wisdom of the Lord. And despite her teaching and despite her instruction and modeling, she still has a foolish son and she's grieved by it. Through no fault of her own, she's grieved by it. Let me uh, show you another example here as well. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 1. A wise son heeds his father's instruction, but a scoffer. What's a scoffer? It's a person who chooses to dismiss the counsel. He's got a wise father, and the father's trying to give wisdom, and the scoffer says, nope, not interested, rejecting that. A scoffer does not listen to rebuke. What's rebuke? It's instruction with the intent to correct. That's what rebuke is. Let me ask you a question. Have there ever been a time, I don't care how old you are, where you did not heed your parents' instruction? <laughs> and if the answer is no, then let me tell you something that you're unaware of. No one likes you, perfect Patty, all right? <laughs> so clearly what he's saying here is, hey, a parent can give godly, wise counsel, and a child who has a volitional will to act and make real decisions with real consequences, both good and bad, even though God is sovereign, can choose to behave like a scoffer and reject that counsel. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 20, in case you're not convinced. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish man despises his mother. All throughout the book of Proverbs, foolishness is contrasted with wisdom. And so the reason that a foolish son despises his mother is because he said, Hey, I'm going the way of my own wisdom, which is the path of folly according to Proverbs, and I despise you because you're not, you're not affirming the direction that I'm going. So clearly, this is a godly parent who's producing a child, not, not producing is the wrong word, who has a child 
who's given themselves over to foolishness. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 11 and 12. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. Now, here's how they do that. Verse 12. There's a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Not being washed from their filthiness means they're still in their sins. They're unrepentant. Now, why are they unrepentant? Because they're pure in their own eyes. What does that mean? They're walking in their own wisdom and counsel. They're looking at their own life and saying, I don't see any problem. Right? They're still unrepentant about their sins, still walking in foolishness, but they're pure in their own eyes. In other words, they look at their own wisdom and see nothing wrong with that. And so doing that, it says, Proverbs says, it's a curse to their father and does not bless their mother. And so what do we conclude by that? That the reason this is a curse upon the parents is because the parents are saying, hey, you're not pure in your own eyes. You think you are, but you're not. You're still unrepentant about your sin and all the consequences. You're glorying in your sin instead of being ashamed of your sin. And so therefore, it does not bless the parents. So what do we conclude? Those are parents who are trying to model the wisdom of God. And this is a child who says, I'm going to walk in my own wisdom. And I'm going to still be in my own sin. Despite your counsel, despite your modeling. Look at verse 5 in Proverbs chapter 22. So clearly there has to be initiative on the part of a person. To honor the Lord and choose the path of wisdom. Look at verse 5. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. He says, hey, if you walk in the path of foolishness, then here's how life is going to turn out. You don't have to wonder. Thorns and snares are in the way of the crooked. And a parent can model that and teach that. But look at the second half of verse 5. Whoever guards his soul will keep far from them. Listen, guarding your soul requires intentional effort on, the, on the, uh, behalf of the hearer, right? Here's the bad news, parents. You can't do that for your kids. Listen, if you could guard your kid's own soul, there wouldn't be a prodigal kid in the world. It requires effort on behalf of the hearer. So clear there's some initiative Required to take personal responsibility for guarding your own heart. Let's go back and keep looking at this. In, in verse 6, if that was a promise, that all the instruction modeling was produced a guaranteed outcome, then why would verse 8 need to come after verse 6? Look at verse 8. Whoever sows injustice will reap calamity, and the rod of his fury will fail. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, you can train up a child, but... If they still pursue calamity, they're going to experience the rod of correction despite your training and modeling. It still is possible because it requires effort on their part. Uh, Look at verse 11. He who loves purity of heart. Now, let me mention a little secret. Did you know this? You can parent, you can disciple, you can model, you can do all those things. But you cannot cause a child's heart to love Jesus. So he who loves purity of heart, he who is motivated by holiness to honor the Lord, and whose speech is gracious, will have the king as his friend. So so what's he saying? He's saying, hey, if you live in a way that you're pursuing holiness, then the king will be your friend. Now, Now, what does that mean? Here's what that means. Listen. The king or government authority is the God ordained means of putting down evildoers and injustice. The Bible says that it wields the sword against injustice. 
And so a person who lives with holiness doesn't have to worry about the king's wrath when they're sinning and when they're wicked. If they live with purity of heart, then guess what? The king will not be something to be feared or hide from. The king will will be a friend. And so what's the reality? Despite verse 6 being there, verse 11 still teaches that a child has to pursue holiness and a pure heart And otherwise, they're going to feel the wrath of authority in their life. So it requires effort on their part. Now, here's why I'm teaching all this. Because if Proverbs 22.6 was a guaranteed outcome, then guess what? All those verses after that that teach personal responsibility to pursue the path of wisdom would not be required. Would not be required. And so clearly, Scripture teaches over and over that godly parents can produce foolish children. So it begs the question, if wisdom requires effort put forward to apply the knowledge that they've gleaned from parents and others, what can a parent do? I love what pastor and author Matt Chandler says. He says, you have to understand where your role stops and God's role starts. Listen to what he says. Love this. He said, I cannot set the hearts of my children aflame for God and His righteousness. The best I can do is to parent their heart in such a way that I'm stacking up kindling around it, but it's the Holy Spirit alone that can set it aflame. Praise God. How great is that? I remember the first time I heard that, I was spiritually bipolar. On one hand... It was incredibly fearful to realize I can't control the outcome. Right, listen, I'm going to let you a little secret. There are some helicopter parents in the room. Did you know that? You may be sitting next to one. You're like, listen, when, when I grew up, and certainly those of you older than me, when you grew up, like you're just out there riding your bike around, you did all this kind of stuff, right? You're smoking Marlboros in your crib. I don't know what you did, right? Now all of a sudden, because parenting has become a competitive sport, we're hovering around our kids to guarantee an outcome. And let's just be honest, not always for their benefit, it's so that we look good and can be glory thieves. Look at what I did. Look at what I produced. Those other parents, they should have been a parent like I was. And so it was fearful to realize that I really don't have control over the outcome, no matter, even if I try to control everything in their life. I have no control of the outcome. But you know what it was on the other end? It was so freeing. So freeing that to realize that, hey, it's God's grace and not my perfect performance as a parent that is the ultimate deciding factor in whether or not my children pursue the Lord. Right? Like there's, listen, that's freeing, is it not? It's freeing to say, hey, Nobody loves my kids more than Jesus does, and he's not giving up on them. Like, it's freeing to sit back and tell the Lord in prayer, Lord, you've got a kid who's acting a fool. Amen? And so I'm stacking up kindling, but praying that the Lord sets it frame. I've got responsibilities, but I can't guarantee outcomes. And so, so these should serve as a word of warning. Don't quickly pass judgment on parents whose adult children are not pursuing the Lord. The idea that if they just would have parented like we parented, then their kids would be 
following the Lord as well. We can faithfully sow gospel seeds, but the parable of the soils, we're not responsible for the condition of the soil. So here's a fair question. If that's true, the Proverbs aren't promises, and godly parents can produce foolish children, and produces the wrong words. Godly parents can have foolish children. And if verse 6 is a principle, not a promise, then should we just let go and let God when it comes to parenting? Like should we just say, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. Right? Because there's no guarantee, even in Proverbs 22, 6, and I can do the best I can and still have foolish children. Should I just embrace the movement that's called free-range parenting? Have you heard of this? I'll read you a technical definition of free-range parenting. Free-range parenting is the concept of raising children in the spirit of encouraging them to function independently with limited parental supervision in accordance of their age of development and with a reasonable acceptance of realistic personal risk. You say, what is that? The 70s, amen? <laughs> Free-range parenting, the author says, is the opposite of helicopter parenting. This idea of free-range parenting was popularized by a pediatrician, pediatrician Benjamin Spock. Side note, who wrote all kinds of books on parenting and never had any children. You know what I've learned? That when I was a young pastor, God called me to the ministry, I had four theories about raising kids. No kids. Now I've got four kids, no theories. <laughs> Folks, I'm starting to feel loose. I just want to warn you, all right? Like something's brewing up in here. And so if that's true, if it's not a guarantee and... Godly parents can have foolish children, then parenting from a spiritual aspect is training, is needed, and it's profitable. It's the third truth I want to share today. And so we've spent some time determining what this verse doesn't mean, so let's break down this verse, what it does mean, and basically it's exegete, which means to dig out the meaning from the text. Let the text speak for itself. So here's what you're going to have to do, all right? So everybody look up here. I need you to lay aside every presupposition you have about what this verse means. Okay? Just, let's just let the text speak for itself. You say, well, I think it means this. I taught this. I was heard this years ago. Listen, lay aside every presupposition you have and let the text speak for itself. Let's exegete the text and what's it mean. And when we do that, there's three key questions we have to answer to understand what this verse is actually teaching. What is meant by train? Train your child. What is the way they should go? What does that mean? And what is meant? They won't depart from it. Right? So I'm going to break those things down here really quick. First one. Train up is a command. The Hebrew verb translated train occurs three other times in the Bible. Every single one of them refers to an intentional dedicating a house for godly purposes. This implies that a parent discipleship, it is deliberate, it is an intentional course of action. Listen, it's certainly more than bringing them to church, but it's not less than that. Let me make this as easy as I can. It means I'm putting more effort and intentionality into trying to raise godly kids than I am stellar athletes. Amen? Listen, if my kid can swing a bat and dunk a ball and doesn't walk with the Lord, I'm not happy with that. And so there's an intentional, deliberate act that you would say, hey, 
this is the most important job in the world. I'm not going to leave this to chance. Intentional training. Now, what's the opposite of that? And I've heard this so many times. I've heard this from people in church. Well, I don't want to force anything on my kids spiritually. I just want to let them choose for themselves. Let me tell you how that turns out. Not good. Because the natural bent of your child's heart is towards foolishness, is what the book of Proverbs says. Now, a little side note. Some scholars agree the Hebrew word for child here in the original language doesn't refer to a toddler. It actually refers to an adolescent. So I'm going to share something that's really, really scary and you don't want to hear. Here's what that means. That means this specific application has broad application. The specific application, he's talking about training an adolescent intentionally. Why? Because when they get to adolescence, that's the time and place where they want to go their own way. Amen? And so he's saying, hey, when parenting is the hardest, that's when it's the most needed. And so it's the opposite of passivity with the hopes that Spiritual osmosis will occur by just sitting in, in church. And so training is a deliberate, intentional act of dedicating a house for godly purposes. So what, that's what's meant by training there. Now, this is, the, this is the crux of this. I want you to listen, okay? What is meant the way they should go? This is where I think we've butchered this, all right? So listen closely. The verse in the Hebrew literally means according to the dictates of of his way. Now there's two schools of interpretation on this thought. And the first one is you, you should be a student of your child. And you should kind of look at their own personality traits. The natural bent of their personality. And, and you should disciple them in that direction. So, so things like this. You know if they're, a, they're not a sports lover. Uh, you love sports. And they're more of a creative artsy person. You should just train them in that direction. Because that's how God's wired them. Or, or hey if you're, you're an extrovert. So number one what's wrong with you. Amen. If you're an extrovert. You get raised a kid who's an introvert, right? You should train them in the way they should go. And so I'm just be honest. Years ago, that's what I thought this means. But I'm, I'm no longer convinced of that after studying the text. And so when he talks about in the Hebrew, according to the dictates of his way, the reality is the school of thought is what is the way? Well, that phrase the way literally means in the Hebrew a trodden path. And in the context of Proverbs, there's two paths to take. The path of foolishness or the wise, well-trodden path of wisdom that the writer is promoting here. Now, if you're listening, say amen. In the Hebrew, the word should is not there. That first appeared in the King James translation. The other translation just kind of kept that in there from there. So that this idea of training a child in the way that he should go, that should is not there in the original language. The original language, this verse, literally translated, says this. Train a child in his way, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. So, so this is not a promise that if you do this and train them in the way that you go, then this is a guaranteed outcome. As a matter of fact, it's a reverse promise. It's a warning. Here's what he's saying. If you train a child, use Hebrew, in his way. What is his way naturally? It's the way of foolishness. He's saying if you just train him in such a way that you let him have his own way, then mark it down. Here's the promise. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Here's what he's saying. 
He's saying, I know the training is hard, but if you don't do this, you just left a child to the natural, sinful inclinations of their own heart, then the guarantee is this. If you let them go their own way without any modeling, teaching, instructing, praying, all those things, then when they're old, they will not depart from that. You say, what's their own way? You don't have to wonder. Listen to Proverbs. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Listen to Proverbs. A child left to himself will come to ruin. Here's what Proverbs 22, 6 is saying in the original language. He said, if you leave your child to their self in their own ways, they will come to ruin. So it's a, it's a promise, but it's a reverse promise. It's actually a warning. Jewish philosopher offered this interpretation of the meaning of this verse. A Hebrew scholar said this. He said, what this verse is saying really is train a child according to his evil inclinations and he will continue in his evil way throughout all of his life. Richard Clifford in his commentary on Proverbs gives this paraphrase. Listen to this. This is gold. Here's what he says. Let a boy do what he wants and he'll grow up to be a self-willed adult incapable of change and a scoffer. And so this is a warning. This is a warning. He says, hey, if you just train them up, let them go in their own way, and that's your training, I don't want to force anything on them, I don't want to do those kind of things. And he say, hey, here's a guaranteed outcome. They'll continue in that. Why? Because that's the natural direction of all of our hearts, is what he's saying there. So clearly, even though an outcome is the work of God's grace, training is needed and profitable. It is the God-ordained means to fight against the drift of a child's heart towards Foolishness. Now, a couple minutes and, I, and I'm done, okay? So what does that mean? It means if you did that to the best of your ability, and your children are still prodigals, then you should send that false guilt back to hell where it belongs. And if your children are still walking in the training from their youth, don't be a glory thief. Give God all the glory that they were receptive to His grace. Now, some of you have little kids. You know how I know they're little? Because you still like them. Amen? <laughs> I'm just sharing today. I'm just sharing. If you're in here, you're freaked out, like this is a guarantee and this... Here's the guarantee. If you don't, aren't intentional about it, they're going to continue the way of foolishness as adults. That's the guarantee. But if you hear you've got little kids, and hear me this morning, you just keep faithfully stacking up kindling and praying that the Lord sets it aflame. Pastor shared the story of a father that's prayed for years for his children. When the children went to bed, the father would go into the bedroom and stand over his children praying for them every single night. They always knew that dad was there when they were younger. As they got older, he would wait until they were asleep, and then he would go in and pray in their rooms. Even later, when they went off to college, he would still go in and pray over where they had been. Their father was talking to his children one day, and he mentioned that he still prayed for them every single night in their rooms without fail, even though they're not there. And his kids said, to his astonishment, we know that. The father was surprised, and he said, how do you know that? They said, when we come, 
come home to our own bed, we see your footprints in the carpet. So parents, if your children see nothing else in their life, make sure they see your footprints in the carpet. Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, despite your best efforts, you've got an adult child who's a prodigal. Would you just right now, once and for all, lay aside that false guilt and pray and say, Lord, help me to walk in the freedom of your truth. Would you just pray that right now? If you're here and you've got kids who are following the Lord, who are adults, continuing the training that you offered, would you just right now do two things? Number one, would you just confess any pride that, that says, I, I produced that and other parents should have been like me. Would you, would you just pray and confess that right now? And then secondly, would you just pray and thank God for His unrelenting grace in their life? If you've got little kids and kids still at home, would you do this? Would you just pray, Lord, even on the hardest of days where it feels futile, give me the grace-empowered strength to keep stacking up kindling around their hearts. No one loves my kids more than Jesus. Father, we pray today, and we're so grateful. learn these truths and I pray that today we'd be encouraged by the Lord's grace that can accomplish more in a moment than we can in a lifetime I pray that today we would lay aside false guilt and judgmentalism of other parents God I pray today that our confidence in you would grow deeper and that God our compassion for other parents who's whose children are prodigals. God, we would take these truths and we would encourage them and we would comfort them. And so, Lord, for every child in the room, whether they're 8 or 80, God, we pray and we ask with all diligence, set their hearts aflame for Jesus. We love you and we trust you because you first loved us, your wayward children. Thank you for not giving up on, on us. Thank you for your grace. We're desperate for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.